We are back once again. I am joined with my good friend, Matthew Craddock. Hello, Matthew. Uh, hello, hello. How are you, mate? You okay? I'm better than you, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> struggling on, mate. Struggling on. Uh, yeah. Um, so before we introduce uh, today's guest, I guess we need to reflect on our conversation last week. Just before kickoff, we were full of enthusiasm, very excited for um, it to come home. And uh, it didn't go that way. Uh, what are your no. quick reflections on the night, mate? Well, without going into actual like tactics and stuff, I still think it's I still think it's a positive tournament for England. And I think if you look back at you know their plan as a you know footballing nation, you would go back ten years. They talked about a plan. They talked about the England DNA. They talked about what the footballers will look like and how they'll behave. And you're starting to see that, you know. Uh, and I think I think you know they had a semi final and then. They come second. I think it's progress, and yeah. you know, I think you only have to listen to. I mean, firstly, you only have to to watch them play. You know, they play multiple formations. They play quite fluid football. They try and keep the ball at times. They try and create, and then you listen to the interviews after the game, and they're highly intelligent. They understand the game, and they're good people. You know, and that was everything that the England DNA mapped out. You know, we were lucky enough to to you know listen to it and see the England DNA you know through our time at the FA and stuff and that's what it is so so for me I think it's a very positive tournament and I think it is part of a plan and you know they mentioned that to win tournaments you've got to be in the closing stages of tournaments consistently and you know that's two on the bounce yeah who knows who knows yeah I think I think it hurts a little bit more because this year like we genuinely believed we had a really good chance you know all the other years when you go yeah we're gonna win it but deep down you're like mm, maybe <laughs> not this year the team had everything didn't they they had everything they was they were solid defensively they were creative going forward like you said there was all these flexibility of formation amazing players players whatever oh fantastic yeah. depth the, the players that didn't even play any minutes is, is yeah. staggering like um really the really talent, good. Like, the the, talent was it the semi-final the talent pool that England have got to select from is unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Oh, so that, you, you, you just have to look yeah. at those players to know that success will be inevitable, won't yeah. it? I mean, the players yeah. are just incredible. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it was it was overshadowed, wasn't it, by, by um, people, a, a very small percentage of people's reactions after the game to, to those three young men, which is, there's no place anywhere for that. So, um, I've been no, often, horrendous. Yeah, yeah, a really positive, positive tournament. It's a great time to be an England fan. It's a great time to to watch, like you said. And yeah, it hurt, but it was. Um, you, we still can be very proud, can't we? But um, as you know, Lee, yeah. I'm an Ireland fan. So yeah, no, the, you, um, you, you, really, yeah, we still hurt. We still hurt. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, who do we have on the show today, mate? That's enough for, for me and you. Well, we had we welcomed Trevor Sinclair on. Um, and it was brilliant, wasn't it? I mean, we we talked for, I think it was quite a long one today. I think it was a good, at least an hour yeah. anyway. You've only got yourself to blame now. I, I didn't say a lot today. I just listened because it was a fascinating conversation. But um, yeah, there was just so was... much stuff to get through, Lee. You know, there was, yeah. you know, there was so much stuff. I mean, you know, you just look at his career and what he's done and 
we could have been there for hours. That's why we have to be so yeah. prepared today because we could have literally been talking to him for hours. And on yeah. top of that, he's, he's, he's a great guy, you know, and it was fascinating to hear a real good blend, wasn't it, of stories, you know, and also his thoughts on, you know, actions moving forward as in, you know, how he coaches and what he believes in and all that sort of stuff. So I think it was a real good blend about looking back and also looking forward. Yeah. Yeah, no, fascinating this one. I, I loved being involved in it. And I say, I, I just sat back and listened because he speaks so well. And yeah, really, really nice guy. So uh, huge thank you for, for you for setting that up and, and for, for Trevor for giving up his time. So uh, yeah, hope, hope you guys enjoy it. I'm sure you will. Um, please do share it and subscribe, leave us a, a review and a comment because that helps grow the podcast. Um, but that's enough of Matt and I. Here is our conversation with Trevor Sinclair. Good evening, Lee. Good evening, Matt. Good to see you. Um, we'll get straight in. So thanks very much to be on tonight, Trevor Sinclair. Welcome. Nice to be here, Matt. Thank you. Hi, Liam. It's great, great to have you on, mate. Really appreciate it. Um, I've got a little bit, I'm the most prepped I've ever been, I've told you. I've got <laughs> three sort of sections we're going to rattle through. So I've got stuff around like your club football. Um, obviously, it would be silly not to talk about England because obviously your career and also the Euros. And then I've got some life questions as well that we're going to chat about. So um, things that you've been up to and things that you, you know, you've been seeing and um, stuff that we've seen on Twitter. Um, so that's the, that's the sort of route we're going to go down. Usually, we get our guests to her give us a bit of a roundup of, of their story so far, but I'm going to be a little bit different. I've got some questions for you from when you start playing at Blackpool. So okay. if you could give us a little bit of a, a roundup of maybe what your childhood was like and, and lead us to, to the Blackpool start, and then I'll start quizzing you. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, Cause it's probably part of my life that not a lot of people know about. So I was brought yeah. up in, I was born in London um, my mum my was from Ireland my dad was from Jamaica they split up when I was quite young and we, we all came to Manchester and as you know Manchester hotbed of football um, started playing yeah. from quite a young age was absolutely raw was probably a good athlete but was raw didn't know how to kick the ball and I had a good mate from the estate that I was from a lad called Kevin Gallagher um, <laughs> white boy glasses really nice kid but unbelievably technical so good but not a great athlete, but really good technical player. And one holiday, it just, football came to me and I was probably about seven or eight. And uh, every day, as soon as I woke up, I had my breakfast, went out to the park or the local school and just, he taught me things every day. And by the, at the start of it, he was running rings around me. And by the end of yeah. the summer, which is probably about six, seven weeks for a normal state school, um, I was getting the better of him quite a lot. So that's where kind of my love uh, for football began and then from there I started playing for the school I think I started in net because I still wasn't great <laughs> technically um, but I just felt like I liked every I was a winner I wanted to win so I liked everything in front of me so I started in net then I think I went I thought that's not working because we're not we're not conceding a lot but we're not scoring a lot so then I went centre forward and then started scoring a hatful and before you know, I was in the school team the year above. And then I got into the town team, which my town at the time was Berry Boys. Um, yeah. We had a strong team and really enjoyed that. Um, was, went in there as a centre forward, had a year with them. And then I was called into um, Manchester United Academy, which was then the School of Excellence. So I used to go up to the cliff. 
had to take my antihistamines once a day, you know, before I went training, because obviously I'm a blue. <laughs> it didn't sit too well with me. Uh, but no, it was a great experience. But I did feel a little bit out of my depth. There was a real good quality of players around me. Um, and yeah. as you can see, some of them lads were from, may, may have been from the 92 lot. So I didn't know that then. But I just felt a little bit out of my depth, you know, you know, and on heart. And I'm quite a realist. Um, and I just thought, yeah, maybe the standard's a little bit too high. That's why I'm not enjoying it, because I wasn't having the success that I was having previously. Mm. So I went to Oldham. I was at Boundary Park Juniors, which was... Um, I started playing for Boundary Park Juniors, which I'm sure you've heard of. Really good boys club in Oldham. Yeah. Um, we had a, a manager called Sid Rimmer, which I still speak to him now. Sid, um, great manager. Um, we had quite a, a few lads that went on and played in the Premier League from our my age group in that team. So it just shows wow. like Chris Makin and, 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 and players like uh, Gary Flickcroft. And anyway, from there, um, we had a really good time. We were winning trophies. You know, we were competitive. We were learning. I was, I was at the Oldham School of Excellence with Willie Donnecker. He was working with me on the Astro. Yeah. Um, really kind man, really good coach. A little bit before his time for me because a lot of the coaches that I'd been with before and, and a few after were more like your um, old school coaches where they just scream <laughs> and shout because they didn't know how to help you. Um, and then um, I went for the Little Shore Trials, which pretty much changed my life. I, you know, I was living in a... Um, what would I say, a council estate with my mum and two sisters. And uh, it, it was quite tough. And I was probably on the, the fringe of, you know, possibly getting into trouble. You know, I had a few unsavory friends, the funny ones that I got attracted to. And um, yeah. Little Shaw come at the right time. So I went in for the trials. Thank God I got in there. And uh, <laughs> at the age of 14, before you went to, uh, what would it be now, year 10, um, I went to live away for two years at Little Shaw with... Um, obviously the Bobby Robson School of Excellence and um, yeah it was a, a magical experience it was very tough very physical um, probably more physical for me because I got into trouble quite a lot so the punishment <laughs> was to run to the gates at Little Show, which is 1.1 miles <laughs> to the gates that was a long back. Way. Yeah, so and now I tell I tell the boys at the academy just bumping forward a bit when I'm training them. When we start training, before we kick a ball, we have a little ronda, but before we kick a ball, I take them for a run every time. And they're like, why do we have to do this? I said, it's just inbuilt in me from being a kid. It's just Stop normal it. to go for a 20, 25 minute run. So, I mean, they, they have a little huff and puff about it. But yeah, it was a great experience. It was really tough. Um, but I was, a, I was around some iconic players that went on to be iconic yeah. players in the game. Andy Cole, um, Chris Makin, Gary Flickcroft, um, uh, who else? Uh, Ian Walker. There was a lot of players that went on and played in the Premier League from, from the school while, yeah. I, while I was there. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it, it was almost like an apprenticeship before I started my apprenticeship at Blackpool. Yeah. And, um, and I feel that... How did you find moving away? Because <laughs> I, know, I know families, it's really important to you, isn't it? Yeah. You're a family man. What, what was that like? you know, moving, moving away from your family. And... I think it was a godsend for me. I think it was um, a relief for my mum because she was working hard. You know, we, 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 yeah. we adore what Marcus Rashford has done and he's used his platform really well. I was in a similar situation mm -hmm. to that as a kid. Um, yeah. Obviously didn't have the platform, not as intelligent as these kids are now. They're so mature and um, yeah, sophisticated. Yeah. I, you know, I have to take, I've just watched... Um, uh, Marankawa win the win the open 24 year old so and so much um grace in the way he won and then he just took the mic and 
you know, spoke to like 10, 15,000 people. He's 24. Like I, I, I couldn't yeah. even imagine doing that at 24. So I do feel like, you know, you look at kids now and they're so much more developed than we were. But yeah, it was um, it was good for me to get away from my environment, um, you know, working class environment and, and follow my dream. It was a bit of pressure off my mum. One, one mouth less to feed and um yeah yeah it got me away from probably a situation which might not have taken the road that it took but, but yeah was, was it was it tough you know was it, it tough yeah it was tough Matt but um I'm kind of out of that cloth where I, I, I can keep on working that's hard work's not a problem for me uh, I wasn't homesick because, yeah. you know, I weren't really missing anything. I was living in a, you know, a big stately home, you know, the grounds there. And, you know, I was, I was like, yeah. when I first got there, it was like, I was looking out the window thinking, oh my God, look at these trees. You know, I'm from like yeah. you know, <laughs> concrete jungle kind of thing. And yeah, it was all amazing. And that didn't ever wear off to be honest. And even when I go back now, you know, I still have a deep breath and think, wow, I lived here as a young kid. Yeah. And I, you know, I took my kids there and, you know, to try and let them understand what my life was like. But yeah, no, it was a really good experience. It was really tough, but I feel it was what I needed. And, you know, I went in um, physically a boy. And when I came out, I was getting pushed off the ball from my own age group, from the age group above. I was getting bullied, not bullied socially, but bullied on the pitch. On the pitch. And then when I left, I developed so much because we did a lot of strength and conditioning from 14, 16 three times a week we'd train five five days a week we'd have Saturday off and go watch a Premier League game or first division game at the time and then we would go and play a year above academy somewhere in the country so we'd be playing Villa or we'd go play Manchester United or they'd come to us but we'd always play a year above because we you know we were a select group um so when I arrived at Blackpool which is where you're going to start giving me a bit of a questioning um I yeah. actually felt physically when I left Lillishaw I wasn't only not getting budged off the ball but I increased my speed so much by doing the strength and conditioning that I was getting there before everyone else and they couldn't even live with me in, in a lot of ways and then when I got to Blackpool I, I almost felt like I'd already earned my stripes and done my apprenticeship so I was ready to take that step up to the first team. Because mm. I was going to ask you because so I, I was doing a little bit of research youngest ever player at the time and you took it off Colin Greenall as well. What well, a good that's guy. A bo- I hope, that's a bonus. You know, I like, I, yeah, I like, <laughs> I like Carl. He's um he's a local lad. Um we 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 play golf and I see him down the range quite a lot. So he's a great yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah, great guy. I was, so, well, yeah, no, was gonna ask you was what what made you stand yeah. out at that age to be able to make the step in? And and I guess you answered it there. Is it was it just the physical or what else did you bring to the party that made you because it's a big that's a big deal, isn't it? Yeah. A sixteen year old playing yeah. first in football. I think confidence by, so I think if you do things thoroughly, so going to Lillishaw and training five days a week, every week with top players around your age group from the from around the country, I think you realise once you start doing okay within that in, environment, you realise that, well, when you get to a certain age, surely there's nothing to fear. So if you do things properly, so I think it was confidence. Um I think there was desperation because yeah. I think from the background I was from, this was literally my only shot of doing anything with my life. So I think there was a realisation. I'm not an academic, but when it comes yeah. to working things out, I seem to have a good grasp on, you know, what lane I need to be in and, and, and you know, where my opportunities are. And I thought, yeah, football's probably an opportunity. If I don't take that, it, it could be a difficult time for me. 
Hmm. Is, is that what you genuinely thought at the time as well? Because that's that's quite a it's quite a harsh or sad thing, isn't it? To say, it is, well, actually, yeah. this is my this is my only chance of doing something. Yeah, special, I guess. But that's yeah. That, but I mean, listen. When I first started playing for Blackpool, I remember making my appearance that first first day of the season, and I said to myself, if we can stay here for fifteen years, I'd be happy with that. So I, it wasn't like I was ambitious. Okay. That was already right. topping what I thought I could achieve. So okay, yeah, yeah. And then obviously you start doing quite well at that level and you start getting interest and you start scoring goals or getting a little bit of media attention. And, and then you realise well, maybe, goals. yeah, yeah. And maybe you, 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 there's, there's a bigger ceiling for what you can achieve. Yeah. So how, how did you find it then? After, obviously, after you, you make your debut at 16, how did you find, you know, cementing your, your place? And, and what, was it, what were the other players like? with you you know did they did they yeah. go well actually this kid's he's a good kid that's fine you yeah. know welcome him in or or was it quite hard you know environment it was quite hard it was quite hard but um again i think the preparation and the foundation that i had at Lillishaw prepared me for this socially you know because there's a lot of not bullying but intimidation and people testing you and you might get someone launching to you in training to test if you can handle it not to hurt you but to test your character and you know you might get dropped down to the youth team again not because of your performances but just to see where your head's at and yeah and I think I, I tripped up a few times especially in them early two years um from 16 to 18 I was still you know I'd just been in a, a house uh, with like you know 30 odd other boys <laughs> And all of a sudden I was in Blackpool and they had local girls and then they had like tourists coming the weekend. So there was a little bit of working that out and enjoying that probably a little bit too much at times. Yeah. Um, but then I think you, you, you love for football bring set recenters you and refocuses you on what you want to, what, what's important. And um, yeah, I mean, one, something that probably didn't help that was um, I, I, I played against Tottenham uh, in the cup I come on as a sub, Gaza Meg me, and he was having a bit of a laugh with me. That was my first like time that I'd met Gaza. Soon become, you know, really close to Gaza in a, in, a, in a our own special little relationship. But um, he Meg me, and then the following we, we drew the game and got a replay in the FA Cup, and we went back down to Tottenham. And when we went to Tottenham, I wasn't in the sixteen or whatever it was then at the time. It might have been fourteen. But I travelled down with the directors and I met one of the directors, a uh, really nice guy, who ended up coaching his sons for the, the weeks and months afterwards. So I do feel, you know, when I mentioned earlier that um, this was my only shot, I do feel like if I didn't make it, I would have ended up coaching or helping in some way in, in football or sport anyway, because it's just a thing that I feel comfortable doing, communicating, helping, using my experiences that I've had to, to help people troubleshoot and and work things out themselves as well but um the end of that story is I was coaching these kids for a few months and then he had to go back to America this director and he took his family he said will you look after me house for me and I was about 17 18 and he had a big four-bedroom house overlooking uh the golf course in uh, in Blackpool and that wasn't good for me because I had this big house. I was going out. I'd met one of my neighbours was uh, his, his dad owned a nightclub, and that was that. So that, that probably took about six months off my career, messing about and you know up to shenanigans. So it was a bit of a nightmare. But it, I mean, it was brilliant at the time, but it was a bit of a nightmare for yeah. my progression and my development as a footballer. Trevor, just just going back to the, the Lillyshaw, but I'm, I'm quite interested in that because there's, yeah. there's not really anything like that. 
anymore. But, you know, you said around doing three or four strength and conditioning sessions a week and five or six football sessions a week. Yeah. Obviously, you had you had your extra running, which which you earned through your behaviour. Yeah. Um, that, that kind of stuff is probably... <clears throat> Fourteen-year-olds, fifteen-year-olds. It's maybe not. It's maybe frowned on a little bit nowadays with all the the expertise and sports science yeah. and, and monetary load. But do you think that actually helped prepare you for senior football when you were sixteen? And my second question would be around: What were the football sessions like? How competitive was it with that caliber of player at that age? Because, yeah. like you said, there's a lot of players there. They were the best in the country. What were the yeah. What were the sessions like? Um, so yeah, we probably. I would say two or three strength and conditioning sessions. I loved them. You know, it was a small gym. It was a circuit. We'd be in twos. Um, you'd work for 30 seconds, a minute, whatever it was. Then you'd change and you'd try and up your weights. You're doing full body. So it was legs. You were concentrating all the muscle groups. Um, you do your upper bodies and everything. Um, the training sessions were ridiculously competitive, especially when we played old lot, younger lot. Um, we managed to beat the old lot quite often and they didn't like that. So, um, yeah, we, I mean, and at the time tackles were accepted in football and, um, yeah, I mean, I've still got scars. I've had my career, forget about Lillishaw, I had my 19 year professional career, but I've still got scars from Lillishaw on my legs because that's how competitive it was. And we've got a group chat, the boys from the class of 89, we've got a really good group. Um, we lost one of our members, um, he died. So we've come together, we've had a reunion. But we speak on the foot, like we've got a group chat, we speak all the time. So I look at them like, you know, th these are brothers that I've had for 30 years now and we're really close and, you know, lads are getting married, having kids, getting made redundant. We, we, we help each other and it's a great network of support that we offer for each other. And yeah, I'm really proud of what we've achieved, on, you know, coming from that group, which was hard because some of the lads were affected by it um, because it is a harsh environment. Um, but yeah, we've got a really close knit and we, we stick together really closely. Um, talking about whether it prepared me, I think it did prepare me because I think when, you know, I don't think you, you achieve anything if you're just going at a nice, easy pace. I think the fact that we were challenged and put under an intense amount of pressure to one, produce good quality football, but then two, be physical as well and do your academia. Um, I think, yeah, it was a really challenging time, but I think we call it fast tracking. If, if you feel someone's yeah. capable of dealing with it, let them deal with it. You, ask, him, ask him for more. Ask, and, and that's what we were asked. So for me, I think it served me well. For some of the lads, maybe not so well. Um, but yeah, you're in that kind of fish tank. You've got, you've got to learn how to swim quickly. And, you know, if you don't, you'll end up struggling. Did, did, it, did it help those, you know, who did struggle in the football aspect? Did it yeah. help them in other ways? You know, did they, you know, did they get that competitiveness in life or that resilience or... Or did it, you know, did it do the opposite and actually, you know, take a lot out of them? Yeah, I think with David, um, the, the boy that died, we, we don't actually know how he died. Um, right. But I think there's, there's, there's a bit of both. But in general, I look at that group and I see how they're achieving, not in like they're making millions of pounds, but they're successful, yeah. they've got families, you know, they're, um, they're resilient, you know, they're all, do, they're all like positive parts of the community. You know, they do things for charities. Some people work in um, counselling. And so I think that yeah. in general, it's helped prepare the lads for life as well as football, whether they could made it in football or not. Yeah, and they'll, they'll, I'm assuming you all look back on that as a, a real fun oh, memory, I'm assuming. Amazing. Like some, yeah. some really bad. 
low. I mean, I mean, it's the, it's the, it's the bad times you've got to have a giggle, aren't you? But we, yeah, like, we, we joke about it all the time about the principal and about stuff we got up to. And, you know, and as you're getting closer to that graduation time, um, the, you start taking liberties and going out the weekends where you wouldn't dream of it coming in as a freshman. And yeah, no, it was, a, it was an amazing experience. You know, people who go to college yeah. will probably experience it, you know, 16 to 18 um, when they live away and they're in, in, in the board, boarding house or whatever it is. Very similar to that. We just experienced that at a younger age. But you know, we had a yeah. pool table. We we, we, we had a, a table tennis. So socially, we we we, we looked after ourselves. So we, we could go into pubs and hold our own. And and um, you know, we, we, we got taught how to cook. We got taught how to do our washing. It really did prepare you on all levels of life. Yeah, that's probably why you were ready for Blackpool then, was it? Um, yeah. I mean, I was the only one who went to a lower division club. Right. So all the boys went to like your Tottenham's, Manchester United, Cities, um, you know, all around the country, all the top clubs wanted these players. So I was the only one who went to a League League Four club at the time, mm. Division Four club. And uh, my, I think my experience from Manchester United helped me with that because I, I did feel a little bit out of my depth. And, you know, you both know the phrase, you know, a, a big fish in a small pond or small fish in a big pond. I think I yeah. needed to be the big fish in a small pond just for my confidence because it was okay. just the way I was from my personality. Um, yeah. And then as I got more professional and as I got more belief in my own ability, then I felt I was ready to, you know, step up to the plate at a higher level and, and hold my own. Yeah. So then the, the move to QPR, that was Blackpool's record transfer as well. I think at the time, yeah. Is that does that give you confidence or does that give you pressure? Um, I think it, it gave me it gave me confidence to start with, and then I went to the yeah. first game of the season and sat on the bench next to Jerry Francis at Villa Park and watched Q, QPR play at Villa Park against Villa, and it was a great game. Um, yeah. And it was one-one with about ten minutes to go. Les Ferdinand. I was I was astounded by his ability and, and what he could do with and his physicality and you know his goal that he scored a 30-yard screamer and I remember yeah. him vividly it was a hot day as it always is on first day of the season <laughs> and then it dawned on me I'm, I was miles away and yeah. I, I kind of it was like shit you know I was like <laughs> one of them my god I've got some work to do and thank god you know Frank Sibley um Jerry Francis Roger Cross the coaches there, they realised they'd made an investment into a player that had potential but was raw, a little yeah. bit chunky, needed to do a lot of work. And um, I was prepared to do that. And um, yeah, I remember going in there, probably bottom of the ladder with, with regards to the players. The players were brilliant, way they well could met. Yeah. Couldn't believe my accent because I'm a northerner and I had dreadlocks and they thought I was born in London, so I'll have a Cockney accent. And then as soon as I started speaking, they were cracking up laughing, but what a group what a group of players that was. I mean, absolutely brilliant. You know, Ray Wilkins, Simon Barker. There were so many yeah. characters in there. Um, oh, obviously, Solaire's. There's loads, uh, too many to mention, but fantastic group. And um, yeah, I got to work quickly. And within a few months, I felt like I was one of the fitter players. We'd do box to boxes for fun. You know, there's no, you know, you both know there's no secret. You do, you, you do, you, you do your hard yeah. running, you look after your diet, you, you do your strength and conditioning, you work on, you know, you get your game play and your out of possession play, which Jerry was very strict with. Um, and that was a, that was a, that was a learning thing in itself because 
you know, we'd, I'd never really worked on that. I was the kid, you know, put him out wide. You don't have to worry about getting back in so much. There wasn't so much tactics. Jerry wanted a 4-4-2 and he wanted you slipping across laterally. He wanted you depth. He wanted you breaking away from on transition. There was a lot of things that were brought to the table at a, a short space of time, which you had to try and digest and, and, and take on board. But I did that. And um, within a while or so, I was in the team and things were going well. So how was the another move again? So like in a short space of time, you've done quite a bit of moving. Again, just took it in your stride, not not bothered. And and what was the what was the sort of support for you? Because you've gone from you know still a young lad into London. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a lot of distractions there for is, yeah. you know someone our age. Never mind a young <laughs> lad. You know. So what what was that like? Well, fortunately, there was no social media. So you could still get yeah. away with it, enjoying yourself a little bit. And there was no so mobile phones. you can say you, you were very good and no one will know. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was normal. So listen, I trained hard. Every time I turned up for training, I wanted to be the best player and I put it out there yeah. and didn't leave, didn't bring, left it all out there every day in training. But I did, I, you know, I enjoyed myself as well. Um, and I, I, I got as close to the M1 because I still had that real connection with my mates, my teammates, my mates up north, my family. So I yeah. still used to come up quite a lot um, back to the northwest, Manchester or Blackpool, and but I worked hard when I was in. You know, I did everything, whether it was double sessions, whether it was you know certain individual work that I would work with. So a lot of my individual work was you know in just in that final third, as you you understand, forward players. Yeah, they do a lot of like giving me lots of different ideas. They knew I had the ability to take players on and that, but if I come across a really good defender like a Dennis Irwin, I needed to have a, a plan B and a plan C, and, and they would give me these different options, um, which, you know, possibly not then, but later on in my career were huge uh, in, when I had to adjust my play through injury, which you can talk about later if we want. Mm. But yeah, they worked really hard with my final third kind of entries and, end product crossed in where, and I talk about it now, even when I, as a coach, some of the things that Jerry taught me, second six yard box. If you're not sure, miss the first man, second six yard box, it's dead easy. Yeah. And like, I even watch pros now and I'm like, why is the, co why is the coach not speaking to him and saying that? Because it's one of the yeah. most frustrating things when you see, and listen, if there's pressure on the ball and you shank it or you just get a bad contact, fine. But when there's no pressure on the ball and the pictures you've got today, they shouldn't hit the near postman. And it, if, if you've just put in an area, Keep it away from the keeper. Second six yard box done. Everyone yeah. can attack that area. So it's it's so yeah. I learned a lot of real good fundamentals, and it gave me a good foundation for you know for the remainder of my career. Is that is that stuff? Is that some of the stuff that you knew, or or was it were they you know what sort of messages were they giving you? And what what I'm really interested in is when when coaches talk. I think the most effective coaches are really clear. And yeah. they give a good framework. And the way you said it before was, you know, I've got plan B, C, D and E, which tells me you have options and, a, and like a framework to work from. Is that the type of coach that he was? And, and did yeah, that work Jerry, for you? Jerry was amazing because he wasn't, a, again, you know, Matt, you understand, you both understand this, Liam. When you start, I mean, I've had some real bullies as coaches. And as soon as he starts going above a certain decibels, I, I just switch <laughs> off me because it's either yeah. argue or just, just let it go. So when Jerry speaks to you, he speaks, one, one thing for, 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 to start with, he's a great guy. You know, he's a really humble man. He's achieved everything in football as a player. So you, I think you kind of give him that respect anyway, but he is such a really nice man. I remember coming down to meet him 
And actually, a story that I didn't tell you about. I went down to meet him. He sold me the club and what the club want to achieve and what their vision of me achieving at the football club. And then he said, right, this is the deal. Yeah, lovely. You know, I quadrupled my wages. Obviously, coming from Blackpool, wasn't on a great deal of money. Yeah. Didn't realise how expensive London was, so I soon went back into the new contract, <laughs> but never mind. But we agreed the deal, but the contract wasn't ready. So he said, right, you go and sleep on it, stay in the hotel. We'll see you in the morning, we get it all signed, get the media down. And while I was away in the hotel, the phone in the hotel room rang, and it was Kenny Dalglish. And Kenny Dalglish went, listen, I'm not going to do his accent because I'm crap with accents. Listen, we want you at Blackburn. I said, Kenny, really respect. Like Kenny was one of my favourite players. I had a bit of a backside, like what I became famous for. So I always had it, but he was an amazing player, Kenny, and, you know, played for Celtic, um, who my stepdad is a, is a Glaswegian and who, who supported Celtic. So I was all over Kenny. And I just said to Kenny, listen, I've shook Jerry's hand. You know, it's just too late. I've already agreed. So I, I'm going to stick to my original thing. So, so Jerry had already left an impact on me for me to turn down Kenny Dalglish. So going mm. back to, to Jerry as a coach, when he, when he talked to you, he, 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 he he kind of demanded that kind of attention and focus. And that, I think as a coach, that's all you want. You want the, the player's attention and the focus so they can yeah. have the best chance to take in the information. And Jerry just used that. As soon as he started speaking, it weren't like he was loud, but I think maybe there was a few like lieutenants around him that as soon as he spoke, he wouldn't say, shh, or get in here now. They would. Yeah. So like yeah. it almost yeah. give him, empowered him even more. Um, so yeah, no, Jerry was a really good um, tactical coach, really good uh, to speak to, like get you going for a game, um, really lift the players for a game. And um, yeah, again, I still speak to Jerry often now, you know, and we've spoke yeah. about working together, um, certain different things um, over the last, well, it's just come to a bit of a stop really because of COVID, but I still speak to Jerry often. Um, and you, like, you both know in football, you know, friends that I had from under 10s, that I'm still friends with now. Football is like, um, you might not see someone for 10 years, 15, 20 years. Yeah. But as soon as you see him, that respect, that them stories and that relationship. It's like, you, you know, it's it's like you've same. never been apart, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, Jerry made 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 me understand I had different options. And sometimes when I look at footage from me at QPR and I look and I think, God, I, I, I played at tight. Everyone reminds me, like thinks of me, oh, Tricky Trev and, you know, running down the wing. But I've seen bits where, the ball's got knocked out and first to the ball, I lay it back the way I'm facing away from goal and then get on my bike. The game doesn't change. People just complicate it. You know, and it's yeah. that attention to the detail, making sure you get, you're on your toes to start with. You make sure you're first to the ball. You find a teammate and then you get, try and spread, make the pitch big by running in behind or going wider and, and giving that player on the ball options. And yeah, Jerry was really good at helping the players understand that kind of philosophy. Did did you? I mean, you had highs and lows, didn't you, at QPR? But what what's your overall feelings around your time there? Um, well, I can't. I, I always get reminded of it. <laughs> I only did the overhead kick when I was there. I mean, it's absolutely. <laughs> I didn't even you know mention what I mean? it. I know. I know. <laughs> and like you know, I, I scored some really good goals at QPR. Um, I had a fantastic time. I think we finished eighth. Top 10 a couple of times yeah. while I was there. Um, and yeah, no, my overriding feeling was uh, very grateful that the club, you know, spent that money on me to bring me to the Premier League. Yeah. Um, privileged that I got that opportunity in. Feel that like I'd give it my all while I was there. The, 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 the bad part of it was um, I got into the England squad when I was about 22, 23. I was flying at QPR. QPR decided to sell 
the two best players, the centre-half, Darren Peacock, Les Ferdinand, centre-forward, after me signing the contract and them telling me they're going to build the team around us three. And then that's yeah. where it started going a bit wrong because, yeah, they lied. Yeah. You sound um, quite principled then. You know, even just going back to there, that 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 obviously didn't sit well with you. No. Um, against your morals, but but then the story prior when you said you you in all intents and purposes could have walked away from that. Yeah, you shook his hand, but you didn't sign a contract. Yeah. So what what is what is it about you then that's that you know sets up those two stories? It's obviously think, some sort of principles. I'm yeah, I think that comes from your parents, doesn't it? You know, the if you say you're going to do something, stick to it, you know, and try even to this day now as a, if I said like, my wife's not as principled as me, like we'll say, oh, we'll go out for dinner. And then I'll say, yeah, brilliant. And then five o'clock, we're going out at seven. She goes, oh, I don't really fancy it. I'm like, listen, I'm going. So I've said I'm going, I'm not letting, I'm not letting them down. So are you coming home? I'm going on my own. And like she's like she's dragging her feet in the shower. It's like, all right, I'll get showered. <laughs> I don't know. It's just something about me. I I just think it's a it's um that's you, that's your fabric. That's what that's yeah. that's your value. If you can't stick to things that you know you say you, you're gonna do or you know, agreements that you have or promises that you make, what are you? So for me, that's I think me. as well. If 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 you give up on on one thing, it it will escalate. So if if for example that hand you've done that handshake and then gone yeah you know that that yeah. then really what do you stand for yeah. uh, you know that's and I you say lose to yourself I mean I'm not I don't know about you but sometimes I'll put it on the boys at the academy and that jog which is usually about eleven or twelve k an hour jog might turn into a fourteen or fifteen lively mm -hmm. run and like usually I'll tell you the lads that are going to do well in life for the lads that drop out. And yeah. I say this to the boys, I say, don't, don't drop, like after we finish, I say, why are you dropping out? Because if you accept that there, down the line, you're going to accept something else. And before you know yeah. it, you're not going to achieve anything. You're not going to reach yeah. your potential. So give everything your full yeah. shot. And we, I mean, the lads that have done really well out of that academy, you know, have gone on to work, to, to be in, in the RAF and, you know, forget about football. These lads are going on yeah. to achieve in, in our communities and in life. So that's probably the biggest thing for me out of the academy experience, what I've gained. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to come back to, to what you mentioned there, but the overhead kick. Oh. <laughs> I mean, what, what is going on? You know what? I seen Willie Donnaker. I mentioned him earlier, and um, yeah. I bumped into. I think he was at Port Vale Academy a few years ago. You'll probably know more than me, Matt. Uh, yeah. But I bumped into. I was watching one of my kids play um, at Myersco, and um, yeah, I went over, said hello, shook Willie's hand, and we were talking. And he went, "Hey, come here," and he pulled me to the side and he said, "Remember that overhead kick you scored?" And he told me this story that he was when he seen it on telly on Match of the Day or something. He said he it weren't like it, it was wow that's amazing. It was it was expecting it because he said I used to do it all the time at Oldham when I was about 12. So it was some and it, it is something that I did often in training. And I think yeah. the coach, even when I was at like Ferry Boys as an under 10, I think I scored like 47 goals or 40 odd goals as an under 10 or an under 11. And a couple of them were over kicks. It was just something that naturally was part of my makeup part of part of my toolbox and 
Yeah, I weren't shy in using it. I mean, it, like, when it goes wrong, you feel an idiot, don't you? You feel an actor. But, yeah, we've um, seen some bad ones. Yeah, but yeah. no, I, I did it quite a lot. I did it quite a lot. But listen, it was it was one of them where it was outside the box. The, the trajectory of the, the cross wasn't great. But again, it just it was in my sweet spot. And I thought, right, go for it. And luckily enough, you know, it was a, it was a FA Cup game. It, it, it flew in the back of the net. The keeper forgot to put his arms on. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's something that I'm really proud to be remembered for. Yeah, but you're not practising that on the 3G nowadays, are you? I've done it a few times for the boys. I've wowed, <laughs> I've wowed him. I mean, not so much in the last couple of years, but in the, the first two or three years, I did it a few times. It just takes me a lot longer to get up now. Yeah, I was glad. Yeah. I mean, it is it it is incredible, and and like you said, I mean that it was goal of the was it goal of the season was yeah. the match of the day, yeah. and I mean that is literally something that everybody will will have seen and will remember. I mean, you you must be proud of that. Of course, I am. Yeah, absolutely yeah. proud. You know, when you're a kid, you think about you know being a pro or playing for your country, or but you dream of scoring amazing goals, and yeah, I feel really blessed that I was able to be to be in that position like earn the right to um become a pro but yeah to, to yeah. score a goal like that I feel really um really proud about it because it's, it's not like yeah. people talk about footballs and like oh look at them you know they don't realize that you know you both know because you're involved in youth football the journey's ridiculous you know I had to live yeah. away for two years before I even kicked a ball and that I was yeah. lucky you know, that went to a fourth division team that I could get in. I earned the right to get into the team. But the, the journey, you're talking, you know, some of them now, six, seven years old, they start giving hours, tens and tens of hours a week. And uh, yeah. yeah, so I always, I mean, pretty much with every sportsman, when you see them and you don't just look at the end product. I look. It's at not them, a fluke, look, is yeah, it? Yeah. Look at, this, look at the journey they've had. You know what I mean? It's incredible. Yeah. So kudos to everyone that, that you know, there was, um, a professional. There's a... A little story I read. I can't remember if it was a story or a quote, but he was talking about an, an artist. No, it's all right. He was talking about an artist who, who like did a, a drawing of somebody, and it looked a really quick like uh, sketch of somebody. And then when they asked how much it was, you know, he gave a, a very high price, and and the and the person replied, you know, how how is it that much for five minute sketch? And he said, no, no, no. I've been working twenty years, so I can sketch that in five minutes. Yeah. And actually, you, you, it's the journey that's allowed him to do that, you know, amazing thing in such a short period yeah. of time. So you're 100% right, isn't yeah. it? It's, and, you know, and we get to see the hours and the commitment and the sacrifices these guys and, and you made, you know. So um, talk to me about Harry Redknapp then. What was... Brilliant. Loved Harry. What was that like? Yeah. Well, I'd... Different, different to... to what you were talking about with Jerry before? 100%, yeah, 100%. I yeah. mean, Harry, I think Harry's biggest um, talent was the way he was with people, but also he had an eye for players. And a, a lot yeah. of the time he had an eye for players that had reached certain levels and then fell off it for whatever reason, life, because we have bumps. Mm -hmm. You know, with Decanio, yeah. it was it was his problems that he had with pushing the referee with myself. It was my yeah. injury at QPR. But all the yeah. players almost that he brought to the club were players that had played at a higher level, not as a as in you can't play higher than Premier League, but a higher level personally, and we're having a bit of a difficult time. And he had a way of instilling belief in these players that they could get back to them levels, and he'd sign them off the back of that. And you know, when you when you when you're at a low ebb like that, and someone gives you an opportunity, yeah, I think you you're more inclined to run through brick walls for a man. I mean, literally, because you feel right. How am I going to get? 
you need someone to take a punt on you. And, and Harry came in for me and I thought, right, I want to give this manager and this club everything I've got to try and be successful. And I think that's what Harry's gift was. He, 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 could, yeah. he could see a player uh, and he knew talented players. Some of the players that I was blessed to play alongside because of, you know, Harry's gift was was brilliant. But I met Harry at Lillishaw because me and Jamie uh, roomed together at Lillishaw in the trials. Oh, okay. Right. This is the this is this is where I have like you know when you talk about psychology and that and you look at players. I think one of my reasons why I made it was because I was desperate. Mm. But I think Jamie shows another way you can make it because he was also very talented, but he had a really settled home life. He was around football and he decided not to take the option to go to Little Show, so he stayed at home. But he still made it, so he had a right. privileged life because his dad done really well. Um, but he was always around football. So he was destined anyway. So I think if you have got the ability, eventually you'll make it. It doesn't matter which, as long as you can keep you, keep yourself out of trouble and and, and stay focused on, on the goal, which is becoming a professional footballer. So you mentioned your knee injury. Yeah. How, were you at a low? Yeah. You know, at that, at that yeah. time? Yeah. How, how did it affect you? And, you know, how, how did you, well, how did you shake it off or work it well, through? It was difficult. It was, it was um, yeah, it was a lot of... Um, Hello. Hi. Oh, thank you. There's a lot of um, self-reflection because, I, like I mentioned earlier, I was in the England squad with the likes of Gaza and Shearer and Ince and, you know, Tony Adams at a young age. You know, this yeah. is 95, 96, just before the 96 Euros. And then all of a sudden I picked this injury up. I didn't play in that game because I, was, I picked up an ankle injury. So I didn't play in the, the England squad that I got. Um, called up for Terry Venables and then I think yeah. as you know I didn't get back into the squad for a long time but yeah. once I got this injury playing for QPR um, it was tough because we've been relegated <clears throat> to the championship they'd sold the best players against what they said that they were going to do to me when I signed my new contract and they'd had a couple of managers um, Jerry had left he'd gone to Tottenham Ray mm -hmm. Wilkins came in who were loved but then when Ray was sacked because the club wasn't doing well I'd been injured for a year I did my posterior cruciate ligament rupture. So that was a long journey yeah. back with the Cybex and all the rest of it. That's painful and quite lonely. Um, it was tough. So in the end, I was in a position where I was quite angry uh, about how things had worked out that I decided to be a little bit internal. And I was training with the lads and then going to a gym and training on my own every night because I thought I need to, I, I, I weren't as quick when I came back from the injury. I needed to adapt yeah. the game. So it weren't about me taking players on and, you know, being having that balance to go both ways. I was a little bit restricted. I didn't have the same pace. So I had to adapt. So I started going to the gym, working on my strength from the lower body, uh, working on my speed, um, working on my core strength, working on my touch, working on things that I needed to improve on, which weren't my kind of super strengths as a player, um, to try and get myself back to a similar kind of level, but as a different player. Um, so that was a bit of soul searching and a little bit of... Um, yeah, that was that was pretty tough. And then the manager changed again. Ray Wilkins got sacked. And the first day mm -hmm. um, that Stuart Houston came in as boss, it was Stuart Houston was the manager. And Bruce Rioch, which was a reversal of roles, who was manager at Arsenal, was his assistant, which was quite strange to me. And I was speaking to Stuart, and I, I just said, listen, Stuart, it's nothing personal. The club have been a bit out of order. This is what's happened. There's my transfer request. I, I don't mean to put this on your lap, but, you know, this is nothing personal. And as I was speaking to him, Bruce re chirped up and started saying, yeah, but the, the, 
And I was so, like, I feel quite bad about it now, but I was quite rude to him and like almost in a dismissive way saying, I, I need to speak to the manager. And I, I don't know how he felt about that, but that's how angry mm. I was at the time. Anyway, I played a few games under under that um, that management. And then luckily um, that's where Harry came in and, and signed me. But yeah, I, I, I've always, I think from my time at Lillishaw, especially um, with Dave Sexton, I've always had a lot of respect for coaches because Dave was like an unbelievable coach. He was almost like a philosopher. And um, yeah, <laughs> I've got really good memories about Dave. Even when I was getting into trouble and that, he'd always sit me down, chat to me, you know, and, 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 and help me deal with things. And uh, yeah, so I always had a lot. Of, so it was quite hurtful for me to be as abrupt as I was to a manager then or to the coach yeah. then. And then, and, and then when you started, because I mean, really, you, you sort of surpassed where you were. So you've, you've had this like setback. You, you, you said yourself, I'm trying just to get back somewhere near. Yeah. And, and you know, really, you surpassed where you were before because you kicked on again. Yeah, you say that, Matt, but I know how I felt before the injury. And even right. I think if I would have developed without the injury, I would have been, I would have way surpassed what I did after the injury. There's one game in particular, I was playing against Arsenal and it was the back four, the famous back four of Arsenal, um, Tony Adams, um, Dixon, Winterburn. And I remember I couldn't lose my breath. I was getting the ball, taking full back on, putting cross in, getting the ball. They were all over me. They couldn't get the ball off me. And I was thinking, like I was only, I must've been 21, 22. And I was thinking, this is what I'm doing now. Like you all say, oh, you peak when you're about 28. I was thinking, yeah. oh my God, I am going to be absolutely <laughs> killing this game. <laughs> and then the big man says, you're getting a little bit lively. Knock you down a few pegs. But no, that's, yeah. I mean, so listen, natural ability and agility and pace. And I never got anywhere near that again. But I feel like I tried my best to get to the highest standard afterwards by working hard, you know, the old adage, putting the putting the hours in, putting the extra work in to uh, make up for what I'd lost. And yeah, I was that was probably one of my biggest achievements, you know, apart from you know play, play, playing professional football for a living, was actually getting back into the England squad five years later. Yeah. So before we go on to the England stuff, because I'd like to link it into the Euros as well, because we, we both talked about how much we enjoyed the tournament. Yeah. What Man City, I mean, you know, you said you were blue and then you get a big money move to Man City. I mean, how did you feel? You must have, I'm sure you're smiling now yeah. you're talking about it. So I can imagine what you were like when that came It out. was hard. It was hard, Matt, because I loved it at West Ham. I'd had, a, yeah. I'd, like, obviously giving me the opportunity with Harry and the fans were incredible. The best team spirit I've ever been in for years, um, yeah. unbelievable social life, but got the job done. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, yeah. you've, got, you've got to know that Joe Cole, Michael Carrick, Rio Fernand, Frank Lampard, Jermaine Defoe, Glenn Johnson, David James. I mean, the Ian Wright, the players that they had there while I was there. It's incredible. The players coming through. It was a joke. Like, I'm, I'm looking at these kids coming in thinking, oh my God, who's going to be like the best player in England forever? <laughs> but every one of them were like that. I mean, they were West Ham were churning these players out. I'm like, 
where are they getting these players from? And they'd come in. Yeah. I remember Glenn Johnson in particular. He came in, he was like 18. He only played about 17 games for West Ham. He got a £5 million move to Chelsea. The ball was there. And I, I, this is when I'd... With me, me and Paolo Di Canio were on the weights every day. Not heavyweights. We'd do boxing weights or dumbbells, yeah. doing a lot of work, work on our legs, plyometrics, the lot. And the ball broke 10 metres away between me and Glenn Johnson. And we both sprinted for the ball and I thought, yeah. So I've gone to... I, I was a strong lad, low centre of gravity, big ass. I thought, I'll just give him a little bit and let him let, introduce myself to him. Because it was one of his, I think it was his first training session with the first team. I went flying and I thought, what? <laughs> I thought, where are they getting these kids from? They're like the bloody supermen. But um, yeah, so I, it was hard for me to leave West Ham. Because yeah. one, we'd just been relegated. I had a decent season, scored eight goals in the Premier League as a winger. Um, and still enjoying the football. We had, we finished with 42 points, went down, which was, you know, unbeheard unbe of yeah. before. Yeah, it was. And I was like, I want to stay. And like the club, with their financial restraints and all the rest of it, decided to accept the bid off Manchester City. So it was hard to say goodbye, <clears> but I did because I always wanted to get back to the Northwest. City just moved into the Etihad Stadium. They just signed like... Anelka and Robbie Fowler and Steve McManaman and a few like big boys. Yeah. I thought, and it was Kevin Keegan. I thought it's a it's an this will be fun. Uh, yeah, and I thought, <laughs> you know, it's a club that I, I supported as a kid. It's probably it's the right time. So I went, but it was it was bittersweet. It really was bittersweet. Was it? Yeah. yeah did it did 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 you have the the pressure because you're a fan? Yeah. Are you putting more pressure on yourself? Does it hurt? Does it hurt more? When it's when it's not going well, and and obviously it feel better when it is going well. Yeah, I think so. Listen, it, the move, I've, I played ninety eight games in four years for City, so you know I can categorically say it's the, the least successful club I was at. Um, didn't score yeah. many goals. Um, loved the club. Yeah. Loved the opportunity I got to play for him. I could have actually gone to City. I, I couldn't have gone to City, but when I was at Blackpool, um, Peter retells his story. Because I bump into him now and again, Reedy. He's a top man. And uh, he tried to sign me at Sunderland, but that was too far north, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but it was a great group of players. So I always, you know, I would have considered it, but West Ham didn't want to let me go. But Peter Reed came in for me when Peter, when Peter Swales was the uh, owner of the club. And um, he came in for me and Alan Wright. And Blackpool said, you can have them both for 700 grand. And this was like, I was probably 19. Wright, he might have been 20. And um, yeah. And, and, and Peter Swales wouldn't put the old Manchester City, wouldn't pay the money. And he was fuming. And I just feel if it was meant to be to go to City and, and do something, that was probably the time. Because I just feel there was too much water under the under the bridge when I got there. And I had too, I'd probably had two serious knee operations because I had one at West Ham as well. Yeah. And it was one of them yeah. where I was kind of fighting against it a little bit. I, I do. I had some really amazing games. Uh, the, the one that stands out, or two, were against Manchester United. So that saved my grace as being a bit more of a flop um, but yeah. it was special to score <laughs> against United and you know even though it didn't work out they're probably their kind of top top 10 memories of my career playing against Manchester yeah. United in the Derby yeah and scoring I, I can imagine yeah yeah I remember yeah um, go on I'm, I'm conscious of time because let's move on to England okay. right so I mean there you're talking about you're a Man City fan going to Man City, what was it like playing for England? I mean, that, that surely brings it to a whole new level altogether. 
Yeah, I mean, when I got in the England squad uh, initially, it was like I was on a good reign of form at West Ham. It was it was towards my time, end of my time at West Ham, but I was on a good reign of form. And, and I got in the squad and I think Wembley was being refurbed. So we played the first game at um, Old Trafford and I started, yeah. which, you know, I mean, there's, there's no prouder moment. Who, who was that against, Trevor? That was against Sweden. It was a, it was Sweden, a friendly yeah. against Sweden. So, you know... There was massive names in the team, Rio, you know, mm. um, Bex. I mean, it was a it was star-studded team. and uh, But I thought, you know, I didn't feel like I was out of my depth. I thought I was like, you know, I felt comfortable amongst the group. And uh, got a penalty, won a penalty for the opening goal. Beck scored and we, we, we drew the game one all in the end. But that was like, that was, when you talk about proudest moments, that's right up there with playing in the World Cup or... You know, your missus having the baby. It, that's yeah. the sent when national anthem comes on, you've got the free lines, and it's just mad. So yeah, it was a really proud time. And and then that didn't I didn't really have a long career in, in the England team. You know, if we start talking about I could have had from 95 all the way through till when I stopped playing for England, which would have been what 2003. There's probably a lot mm -hmm. of caps in there that I could have made, but because of injuries yes. and because things didn't quite work how I hoped they did or hoped we would, that didn't uh work out that way but playing for England was amazing and um, yeah to go to the World Cup as well that was just a, it was a dream I thought it was there just to make the numbers up to be honest and the way it worked yeah. out it was it, you know better than we were a lot more than that yeah, yeah. How, how did you find out you were going I was on the golf course so uh, to start with I was uh, every, do you know every footballer uh, starts like that uh, I was with my next door neighbour uh, Burnley the Sausage <laughs> absolute legend <laughs> And um, Sven called me. I didn't even know he had my number. And Sven called me because I, I was in the squad for the Sweden game. And then I think I went out the squad for a couple of games, maybe qualifiers or something. And then he called me back in towards the end of the season. I think he had a good back end of the season. I was playing on the left to give myself every chance because you're never going to play on the right because of Bex. He was yeah. top, top player, yeah. um, as you know. And um, I thought... I've given myself every chance. And then the squad initially got announced and I wasn't in it. And then I got a call while I was on the golf course thinking I've got the summer to, you know, play golf and go on holiday and that. And it was fair. And I actually thought it was one of these radio presenters, ironically. Yeah. And I've gone like, yeah, yeah. All right, Sven, good one. And like, I've half mugged him off. Like, yeah, good, yeah. just get Michelle to call me. I'm, I've got to take Michelle. See you later. And just bombed him out. And then Michelle called me and said, Sven said he's spoken to me. I was like, what? I was a little bit embarrassed. Um, but no, yeah, it, listen, it was a dream. And then, it, but even when I got there, I was 24th man and all that story. And and then obviously Danny Murphy got injured. I got drafted in yeah. and I felt great. And to be honest, the first game, Sweden 2-2, two -two, great. Thought we, thought we, yeah, thought we deserved probably more, but just didn't work out. And then Sapporo, 40-odd, 50,000, roof closed. All England flags, I'm seeing Fleetwood, I'm seeing Blackpool, I'm seeing all these different flags from around England and I'm thinking this is amazing no nerves at all I thought, I'm never going to play and I'm just like yeah this is brilliant I'm warming up I've got a massive spring in my step and hey mate you're all right and yeah next minute Steve McLaren calls me over because Owen Arby's got injured and yeah the rest as they say is history. I was playing against some legends so when when that happened did, was it too late for you to get nervous yeah or did too it late. just hit you too late. too late. We're in. Too late. Oh, no. My last thought before I went on, as I was going on the pitch, I was thinking, 
do not let the nation down. That was all. <laughs> Get your first touch right. I bet that was Don't helpful. lose the ball. I know. <laughs> Don't lose the ball. Get your first touch right. So I was like, first touch, stuck my ass out, defended it, laid it back and got on the bike. And just tried to show some energy. But no, it was a, it is an incredible experience. Yeah, real highlight of my career. Yeah. And uh, Brazil as well. Yeah, another big, big I mean, game. Yeah, obviously the result weren't great, but it, the, the plan, the, the strategy was going to plan. Uh, first half, 1-0 up, Michael Owen. And yeah, I thought we were doing everything right. We just conceded at the wrong time and they got a fluky goal, um, Ronaldinho. I mean, that yeah. starting line-up against us was a little bit unfair. Three <laughs> Amazing. Hours. I mean, yeah. it's a joke. So it, you can tell your kids back in, you know, later on in life, I played against these three. And yeah, no, Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, special players it's amazing yeah it's amazing yeah and what what about after so after that game what's the what's the changing room like what's it you know yeah. what do you do you feel because because I, I do think i mean we all know we talk about it, that that the country just heaps so much pressure on on the players that it almost is like too much to handle do, do you feel that you know afterwards when you've lost Not that game really. we were, we were 6000 miles from home so i think we were guarded a little bit from that yeah so i, I don't actually like i've looked at some of the footage and some of the paper cuttings that my wife kept when i got back and you just think fucking yeah. hell i was on the front page and you know, I've not, not even done anything wrong. <laughs> so it was one of them where it was amazing. Like, Keep that one. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, but um, yeah, you're quite numb. And then yeah. I, I think we got home. Uh, the, everyone's a bit flat. You have a couple of beers. It's it's, it's it's no real celebration coming. You know, coming eighth or getting knocked out. But then when when you watched how the tournament went on from there, we we got we got home. I think we mean that Nat was pregnant with Isaac and we <clears throat> sorry we've cut the sky and um Isaac was a baby. So I think we went to the south of France for a couple of weeks and we were watching yeah. I was watching it, you know, with a little gulp in my um throat. Yeah. And but when you see that Brazil went on to win it, you kind of think, you know what, at least we went out to the eventual winners and they were the better team because they went down to 10 men and we couldn't get the ball off them. And I think, no. you know, you look at how, the, how developed our players have become, how developed the pitches have come and how, how the, the technical um, improvements that we've made in England. And like we've seen it in, in, in this recent Euros, you know, we're, we're right yeah. up there with the top players in the world now. What did you think of the last tournament then? I thought it was incredible. Euro 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Apart from a couple of teams I had to travel, which I did think that was a little bit unfair, not just because yeah. of the travel, but also because of the quarantine situation and not having their own fans to create mm -hmm. that atmosphere and give you that energy. I thought that was a little bit unfair, but all in all, I thought the players were incredible. I thought the standard of yeah. football was great. The standard of games was so entertaining. And uh, I worked on a lot of it, as you know, for talk sport doing the commentaries. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I loved every minute of it, you know. And, and when I weren't working, talk sport was doing fan packs. So that was quite good fun as well. Yeah. But do, do you think this is just another step on the plan? You know, they've, they've done well the last two tournaments. Yeah. They're talking about England DNA and, you know, all this. Do you think it's it's only a matter of time? You I know, do, They're yeah. going in the right direction? I do, Matt. Yeah, I think the, the, the players, um, you know, the, the, not just the players that we're having in the, that we've got in the Premier League and the top divisions now, but also the pathways to get into the top divisions. We're starting to recruit from, you know, non-league and, and bring yeah. players through, as we always have. But also, I think the top coaches have evolved our coaching methods and the way we do things as well. So I think 
the players are benefiting from that and you know playing again playing with some of the greatest players in the world in the Premier League in your domestic side and learning so much I think that's really helping our homegrown players as well so yeah no I think it's just, I think we've got the right manager in place nice and calm understands the game he's got a great relationship great empathy with his players so I think everything's in place you know we've what we've come uh, what third second what comes next I was going to ask you about the manager, Trevor, there. Listening to you speak about some of your coaches and the, the characteristics they had, do you reckon you'd have liked to play for, for Southgate? Is he is he a kind of manager who would have got the best out of you? Some of the players from this tournament have spoke so highly about yeah. him, haven't they? Yeah, I sat next to him on the coach in the World Cup. So we always used to talk about football, about life, about people. He's a people person. You know, he's a, he, under, he understands people. He listens. Um, I just think he's a a decent man who, who, who kind of listens to what you says and tries to, you know, work through that. Um, just a great guy, really rounded, level-headed, but been there, done it. And I think, you know, that experience for him, plus the fact that he's such a, you know, well-natured man, I think that holds him in good stead. I think the fact that he didn't even want the job tells you all you need to do. He's not, he's not one of the, you know, some managers you see now and they've got huge egos and you think, come on. It's not about you. It's about the players. Um, but I think Gareth, it's all about the players. And But he does a lot behind the scenes. And yeah, I thought his camera was brilliant to see. It's quite refreshing because we don't usually have that. Um, and, uh, no, I just think he's done a, I think he's done a brilliant job media-wise. I think the changes that he's made with the, the, the tables and, you know, making sure there's no cliques in the side and a lot of things that were wrong when he was in the squad, which we both spoke about, you know, with the, the different clubs having big players and these cliques and, and uh, other stuff, loads of different things, the media, the relationship with the media and the players, because he gives them so much content, the media don't want any crap. So they'll leave the players alone and they won't look for, search for them stories. So I think he's, he's, he's sorted a lot of things out, made it better for this generation from some of the things that were wrong for our generation. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you, 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 as we mentioned, you, you spoke, you still speak so highly of your coaches um, yeah. from your, your time. And uh, I believe now you're, you're doing some coaching yourself. You, you've said about um, some of the coaching you do, but my question would be: what are the what are the three things that you have stolen from some of the best coaches you ever had that you try and put into your coaching now? Uh, because me and Matt speak to loads of people on here, yeah. and similar things come up, but it'd be great to hear hear your opinions on on what makes a top coach and what you're trying to bring to your coaching. Well, I think the first one you've got to try and lead by example. If you're going to lead men, you can't be turning up late. You can't be. So you have to lead. You have to set standards yourself that you're trying to help the boys make part of their natural personality. So turning up on time, saying good morning, you know, giving everything, concentrating, you know, all these things and, 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 and being a good person. I think if you do that to start with and show that, that you want your players to reflect you as a coach whether it's in a team environment or whether it's a group within an academy. So I think that is the fundamental one. Um, so I would say that. I would say empathy. You know, don't be too... You don't know the, the, the player's journey. We don't know their social... Well, you should know if you've been working with players for a while. You should get to know that things about them. But initially, you don't. So they might do things and you're thinking... Some, some coaches are too harsh with the players or the person. And I think if you've got empathy, you start understanding, right, let's not judge straight away. Let's have a chat. Let's work through it. Um, so I think setting standards 
as a leader yourself and I think empathy for, for players. Um, and then the, finally, um, enthusiasm. Because I think if a coach has got enthusiasm, a little bit, of, it's a little bit out of the first one, isn't it? Where, you know, you want them to be a bit like you, but I think it, it, on itself, enthusiasm, if you're an enthusiastic coach and like players are beating themselves up for getting things, don't, everyone makes mistakes, go again. Think about this, try and help them, you know, problem solve. So I think they're the three main things. Um, but what you want from the outcome you want, more than anything, you want a good person. And I think if you have them three fundamentals, you've got a great chance. Yeah, brilliant. That, similar similar to what some of our previous guests have said, but uh, I think that that empathy is well. You, you've you've been you've 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 walked the yeah. the road that these players want to walk, haven't you? So, yeah. what I guess my, my next question would be: Is coaching what you thought it would be? Yeah, because I did, I've done it since I was six, seventeen. So I started coaching very young. I know it was only on a casual basis, but I think when you coach young people like not toddlers but seven eight you you soon realize there's a there's a you have to it's like a domino you have to do all the little bits you can't just expect them to do what you're asking them to do so if you if that's the end product you have to work back from that and think right what what are the bits that I need to fill in there's usually a lot and I think if yeah from a coach's perspective I'm, I'm quite good at understanding that so you see a player and you think right it's got this this and this He's not got this, this, and this. And that's what you have from an individual's perspective. And then obviously a group perspective, you've got to work on loads of other things. But from an individual, you know, you might get someone in who might have great feet, but so unfit or no physicality or no understanding of um, where they need to be on the pitch, depending on whether they're in possession, out possession, wherever the ball is. So it's too, as you know, there's two, it's a simple game, but there's too many things. We've, we think it's simple because we kind of studied it. I've studied it for like over 30 years, so it's simple to me, but actually when you break it down, it's a very complicated game. And that's where, if you understand that, it's easy to help people because filling them missing domino pieces. That's, that's fascinating to me that you, you've always coached. Did you, even through your playing career, you continued coaching? Yeah, on and off, yeah. I've always like done little bits and um, yeah, I've always, I've always enjoyed it. You know, I'm a people's person um, and yeah, it's it's... You know, I, I got a little gig out of my overhead kick where I did this video and I had to go into schools coaching my overhead kick. So, you know, there's loads of different opportunities that I've been given to coach and I've always taken it. And then as soon as I finished, I went to move out to Dubai and I was invited to do some coaching and I went. And before you know it, I'm head of an academy out there. And, you know, yeah, I mean, we've got players that were out there that have some girls, some lads that have gone on and do good things now in the game. Um, so yeah, no, it's something that I've always enjoyed doing. And I think if you have got a, a real uh, empathy for a player and they feel that you care for them as a coach, they do everything for you and they'll try their best. Well, what strikes me, and you mentioned it quite a lot, Trev, is that it's much bigger than football, isn't it? You know, it's, yeah. about, it's about people, about people. What What's your take on, you know, I saw you at the um, Marcus Rashford mural. You yeah. know, what, what's your thoughts on you know, some of the, the players that are coming through now and, you know, some of the stuff that, like, Marcus is doing. I mean, the, it, this, like, football is the, the vehicle, isn't it, that's allowing him to do this amazing work. Yeah. But it just it's so much bigger, isn't it? Yeah, I think what Marcus is, and, and, and many other players, to be fair, um, are doing for social 
problems we've got, not just in this country, but worldwide. Yeah. I'm that in all of them, you know, such young yeah. men. I think it's obviously different now with social media and the platform and the, the fact that you can say you're unhappy about certain things. In our time, you'd be told to shut up and like yeah. you're not in the team and things like this. So I'm not sure I would be um, the activist AI if I was put in their shoes, but I can't but applaud them for doing the work that they're doing and, and bringing this, these difficult situations and difficult topics um, to the table for everyone to yeah. discuss and it's, it's impossible to ignore you know and the fact that they've changed government policies the fact that they've embarrassed the government at times with Tyrone Mings with what he said yeah to, yeah to, um the health health secretary I think or the foreign secretary yeah um yeah I think there's a lot of there's a lot of um I know it's not even politics it's, it's human rights what we're talking yeah, about it is. You know? yeah so yeah I think I, I can't but applaud the boys in the, in the highest way for for, for the the way they're active, they're, they're being activists in their era. Um, it was different in our time because we'd just get called from the terraces and, and mm. all the rest of it. And you're used to that, you know, you, you get it on the pitch from t opponents and you just learn to deal with that. And, and there wasn't the, there wasn't the process of making complaints then. So things have moved on um, from a, a, from a societal point of view and, and I'm glad that the boys are, are having this opportunity to yeah. try and, you know... Keep that. it moving, really, yeah, isn't it? Just keeping, keep it progressing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you, you talk about as well, you know, on Twitch and stuff about mental health, about being positive and doing things for you. Is that, that you know, where, where does that come from? And, and you know, is it, is it about sharing this, this, these messages? Because like you said, it's everybody has, you yeah. know their own mental health and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good yeah. and, you know talking about it is a real positive thing yeah. you know is that is that something that you're conscious of sharing yeah well others? i've experienced it myself and I've, I've i've got help from the pfa uh mickey bennett who's had a few sessions with me when i've had difficult times in my life which we all yeah. have um, of course yeah which helped me massively and helped me understand why i did certain things and helped me deal with things better in the future but then I've had like friends who I look at, like men, who I look at and I think hard as nails. I've had them on the phone to me over these last 18 months in tears mm. because they don't, these are different generation to us. These are like 60, 70 year old men because they've yeah. not been able to see the, the granddaughters and they've not been able to see the kids and, you know, the brain's slowing down because they're not at it, you know, every day yeah, yeah. diving. And um, that's why I feel it's important you know, especially when you've had difficult times yourself, you tend not to judge people so much and you want to mm -hmm. help people who are going through potentially similar or worse things than you've been through. And I think that's where the messages come from. Um, but, you know, listen, life's hard enough, as we all know. <laughs> you know, so I think if you can try and help people while we're here, um, I think, you know, looking at what's good and bad, everyone knows that that's got to be a good thing. Yeah. Is that... Uh, and the last last few questions because I really appreciate your time, Jeff. But that is that something that is like a, a goal of yours? Because uh, you know, I'm 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 thinking of you've achieved so much in life. You know what what is your goal now? Because I know you're coaching. I know you know. I mean, you you reeled off a couple of successes earlier on, and I know of a few other boys that, that you've supported and are now doing really well. And you know what what is your goal now? Is it about helping others? Is it beyond football or yeah, I think, well, even the academy helps people beyond football. And that's just in my community. Yeah. 
Um, I always like to throw me out in for charities, especially if it's something that is quite touching to me personally. Um, yeah. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good role model. Um, I want to be a good husband. It's, I just want to, I, I want to enjoy football from, from, you know, from the, the, the broadcasting side of things. Um, but certainly, yeah, if I can help in any way, you know, if I'm, if I'm asked, you know, sometimes over social media, people get in touch and say, listen, my dad's not well, or this has happened or what, you know, if you can't do that, you know, what kind yeah. of, what kind of role model are you and what kind of person are you? So yeah, I'm yeah. always, I'm always there to try and help. I'll always try and put a positive spin on things. I'll always try and put positive messages out for people who are having a tough time. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, you, I think when you've had tough times, you appreciate when things are okay and going okay. And yeah, I just hope that continues yeah. and I can continue to help people. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, I, I see it on Twitter and obviously I'm local and I see, I see the good stuff that you're doing. So I think it's, I think it's brilliant. Um, last two questions, Trev. Um, what have you watched, read or listened to recently that you would recommend to others that you've maybe learned something off or maybe it's just something you watched, you enjoyed consuming? Um, can I say Love Island? <laughs> no, you can't. No, you can't. <laughs> well, this is the only time that me and my kids get to sit down and watch television together. That's, that's, so why, that's, why Matt, that's why Matt's quick to try and wrap up, Trevor. He's, he's not going to let you know, yeah. but he's like, we've got eight minutes till it starts. <laughs> right, okay. Let's be Trevor, serious. It was, so, it was going so well no, until oh, now. <laughs> so I, um, I watched the, feel, the, the uh, documentary about food, about... Um, being vegan is it being vegan or um, yeah. game changer game so changes, from yeah. that I've, st- I've stopped eating meat that was about two years ago wow. i feel clearer um it's not for everyone um, yeah. but i feel clearer and then recently i've just bought a book um which um i'm just going to check down what the name of it because i'm not very good with names um what's it called bear with me a minute called the plant paradox okay um it's 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 about so obviously going i'm a pescatarian so from watching game jay i tried to do just that's eat fish yeah yeah but what i'm watching game changer i tried to just do vegetables and it was it was too tough because you can't have cheese and all that it's veganish so i decided to go against that i went vegetarian then i've gone pescatarian but then this plant paradox teaches about seeds in um vegetables and fruits and and, and uh, the skin and the peel and certain things are really bad for you even if it's vegetables so it's just taking it to that next level i think as you get older your digestion is not as good and you know things start to have a few little blips here and there and i think if you can yeah. look after your diet it's an investment into yourself so i would say to anyone that's listening to this podcast look after your diet try and cut down on a bit of meat because it's not great as you get older. We don't need all that protein, but also have a look at this plant paradox because it tells you about fruit and veg is great for you. But if you can just slightly change it a little bit by taking skin off here or peeling this or taking the seeds out of that, you'll be a lot healthier. Happy days. Right. That's one to check out. And then lastly, and I'll let you go. Um, what advice would you give to a young person who's just setting out and wants to achieve something? How young? Because if it's too um, young, you've still got to enjoy yourself. Not too young. Yeah, yeah no, like, you know, I, I'd say I'm quite young. Um, 
Uh, stay on mutely. Uh, 18, 19. <laughs> right. Um, so is this is this a young footballer? Or is this a young Go on, person? it can be a young footballer. Let's, let's a young, have a young footballer. If it's a young footballer, I'd say put everything into it if it's, if, if it's your ambition. Be a sponge, take all the information and try and use it to be the best version of yourself and give it a yeah. good go because do it while you're young because you've got no mortgages, you've got no you know overage, you've got no uh, commitments. This is when you can concentrate on yourself because as you get into you know your late twenties and and whatever you'll have a wife or a partner and you'll have possibly kids and all the rest of it and you might have a mortgage. Do it while you're young. You put everything into it, and if you don't succeed or you don't reach your, what you wanted to achieve, at least you could for the rest of your life you can look in the mirror and say you give it your all. I think the worst thing is if you if you don't give it your all and your focus is moved from here to there to, and and you do fail in whatever you want to achieve, yeah, you'll kick yourself for the rest of your life. So give it your all. So what about, uh, would, would you say similar if a coach that's starting out on their coaching journey? Um, I'd say if you want to be a coach, I mean, it's really tough, isn't it, Matt? It is, uh, yeah. And Liam, as you know, uh, but what I would say is, I, I, it's a tough one for me because when I look at a coach, I like to be a coach. I, I like to, um, I like continuity. And mm -hmm. I think the way coaches are at times, they're ambitious and they want to be with more elite players. And that's yeah. not being a coach to me. So I, I you know, I, I look at coaches that coach me who are at boys clubs for 20, 30 years, possibly yeah. could have gone into pro game, but that was them. That was their little, you know, that was their. So just be, listen, be passionate about it, you know, try your best it's not about you it's about your players and yeah and, and always think about the person because if you can get a good person out there and they've got a bit of ability they've got a great chance well there's, there's not a better better uh, sentence to, to leave it on trevor thank you very much for your time this evening Cheers, honestly Cheers, it's, it's been absolutely yeah. brilliant pleasure um, to meet you trevor thanks mate. and you too hope you um hope you get well Get a bit of tixie licks <laughs> down your lad. <laughs> it's not, I'm, I'm going to review my diet and everything now after that conversation, <laughs> mate. <laughs>